0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. If I were to uh, give a title to what I was going to focus on this evening, it might well be entitled Swimming Against the Tide. At the opening meeting of the General Assembly of our church just a few weeks ago towards the end of June, The outgoing moderator made what I considered to be some very pertinent statements, and he said this, and he was referring to the church and to Christians in general. He said, we are painted as rigid, unchanging, and unloving. We are seen as people who exclude rather than include. As a church, we are seen to judge sinners rather than to offer grace. We're seen as a denomination which could well be left behind in the wrong side of his history. And then he went on to say, yes, we need to listen carefully to what those who criticise us say. But similarly, we need to be confident in our calling. And that that means, at times, swimming against the tide. We need to state to the world around us that we are not minded to redefine our relationship with the Bible. We will not rewrite it re-edit it or rephrase it christian conversion leads from light to dark from darkness to light from brokenness to wholeness and from sin to forgiveness yes the gospel is offensive it says we are dead in trespasses and sin we are not just merely misguided or confused but we are spiritually dead without hope and without god at the heart of the gospel we do not need to stay dead I think it would be true to say that Hebrews chapter 11 that we read this evening is a catalogue of characters who throughout their various generations suffered because of their faith. People like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses and Samson and Jephthah and Samuel and David and the prophets and others are mentioned in this list in Hebrews 11. And it speaks about the penalties imposed and the lifestyles followed by those who were standing up for God in their day and generation. People were killed, they were imprisoned, they were mocked, they were stoned, they were slain with the sword. We're told that they went about in skins of sheep and goats, and they were destitute, they were mistreated, and they lived in the deserts and in the mountains in dens and in caves. That was primarily the picture that Hebrews 11 gives us of those who were living in Old Testament times but those who were living in New Testament times we noticed that the situation was not all that different in the New Testament we read in the book of the Acts of the Apostles about Stephen being the first Christian martyr Paul and Silas on many occasions were in and out of prison Christians were economically disadvantaged in the communities in which they lived the book of the Revelation tells of the incarceration camp that was set up by the Roman government on the island of Patmos, to which John and many other Christians were banished during those early days of the church, and under successive Roman emperors, Christians were thrown to the lions. And The reason was because, as in the early days, so in the days of the New Testament, the gospel, believing in God, was offensive because it created a reaction from those who did not believe in god and under normal circumstances people who even today would be normally placid individuals so often can get very uptight when we present them with gospel issues and gospel teaching Uh, some time ago i think i may be quoted from this before i bought a book entitled the mission of god's people And I think it's appropriate, even though I may have said this before, to to, uh, repeat it again. Uh, The the man in question was a man called Professor Wright, who was the international director of an organisation called Langham Partnership, and who was brought up initially in Northern Ireland, I think, around about the Larne area. And uh, the Langham Partnership was established by uh, the famous Christian leader uh, of uh, a bygone generation, not all that long dead, John Stott. And he said this about Christians, uh, that is Chris Wright. I have an admiration and a great concern for Christians who engage every day in the workplaces of the world. You set out every morning into the public square that is both the world of God's creation and the world of Satan's temporary domain, as well as the world of your participation in God's mission. You are the Daniels of this world, or at least you should be. You are the disciples of Jesus said, You are of the world, but not in you're in the world, but not of the world. You live and work in the world's public square, but you take your ultimate goals and values in life from another source, the kingdom of God. You are salt and light in the world. And when we exercise a ministry, wherever it is, either at home or at work, or wherever we happen to interact with people, where we exercise a ministry of salt and light, we will, at times, and we're bound to, because the Scriptures tell us this, we are bound to embark upon a collision course with the values of our world. And why is this? Well, very simple, because the gospel is offensive, because it does collide with secular uh, affairs uh, for example it collides with the whole idea of people will be happy when uh, they have got more and more the more you get the more materialistic you become the happier you'll be but you only need to look uh, at many of the people in, if you want to call it in the entertainment world who reach the top and who who have got huge amounts of money people who are in the football world uh, and, and we're seeing this uh, every night on the television uh, over the past week or so, people who have got so much money, yet ultimately, are they happy in life? Or, 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 for example, today we're living in a world that is obsessed, totally and completely obsessed with sexuality, with all the plethora of different genders that people want to choose to have. And the whole issue of the nature of what is truth comes into conflict with what the Bible teaches we are on this collision course within society. The focus today so often is on me and what I think and my opinion, my understanding of what I feel is right for me. And whatever I feel is right for me should be endorsed, it should be validated, it should be applauded, it should be reinforced, it should be publicly confirmed, it should not be in any way contradicted or questioned. And when we take this particular view, Obviously, what happens is that everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. And that is something that is totally against what the scriptures teach. And so, with this fundamental shift that we are experiencing today in society at an ever escalating rate, then we have got to ask ourselves where do we stand as Christians in many of these things? And while we do not today live in a part of the world where we are physically stoned or imprisoned uh, or put to death as Christians. Nevertheless, our value systems are being challenged and will continue to be challenged at an ever-intensive rate over the weeks and months and years that lie ahead. And so when we look together at this particular passage from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of the challenge of persecution. All these people that we read about were persecuted in one level or another. Life was never smooth for them. It was hard, it was difficult, it was painful. But they soldiered on, realizing that God was leading them and guiding them and helping them. And despite the pressure from other people that they were on, they continued to focus on what they knew to be right. There was a challenge of persecution. But for them, there was something else there was the anticipation of heaven. We read, "All these died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth." While they didn't have the, the Old Testament people did not have the whole picture. They hadn't got the teaching of Jesus. They anticipated the coming of a Messiah, but they, they hadn't got the whole picture. But they realized that there was something far better for them. In the future and of course we can look back not only with the hindsight of the Old Testament what they did and what they believed and what, the hardships that they experienced but at the same time we can look back at the New Testament with the full picture of what God's revelation is for us and of course we have if we're followers of the Lord Jesus we have this anticipation of heaven I was talking to somebody just at the the beginning of the service this evening about being at the Port Stewart Convention, and uh, I met a lady at the Port Stewart Convention who had just lost her husband, whom I knew quite well, uh, about six months earlier, and we were just chatting together, and she said this, she said, I have a greater desire uh, to enter heaven today than ever I had since naming her husband, had died. She had an assurance of where she was going. And certainly the people of the Old Testament day, they died in faith, having an assurance that there was something far better. And of course, those of the New Testament day were aware of the fact, through the teaching of Jesus and others, that there was a better day that was going to come. And what is the assurance that we have, you and I have, in respect of life after death? Well, the history of the Old Testament anticipated the activity which took place in the New Testament, the coming of the Messiah, in respect of the birth and the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, Because he physically proved that there was life after death, so there is life after death for all who have responded to the gospel. And responding to the gospel gives us an assurance that we will go to that place that is prepared for those who are God's children, which the Bible calls heaven. And why can we go to heaven? Well, the hymn writer penned it in these words, What can wash away my sin? And the answer he gives in that same verse is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sin needs to be removed because it must be absent from heaven. And how can it be removed? It cannot be removed by our efforts, but it can be removed by the blood of Jesus. And what is the blood of Jesus? The blood of Jesus is really what Jesus Christ did as he shed his life on the cross and became a sacrifice for our sin. He became a substitute in our behalf as he became a sin-bearer for us. And as we anticipate heaven, we want to ask, what will it be like there? Often people ask me that question, what's heaven going to be like? I think it's true to say that in the book of Corinthians we read that today we see through a glass darkly. I often think of when I think about a glass darkly, I think maybe of, a, of an ambulance or a tinted window in a car. You can't see in unless you, you, know, you put your, your, your nose right up to the window and you, you can see a, a shadow, a form, but you can't really see things all that clearly. But as far as the Bible is concerned, it gives us enough to know that heaven is a wonderful place. It's a place where God will be. It's a place where God will wipe away all tears from our eyes, where there will be no more suffering or death, no sorrow or crying or pain or sickness, and all those things that we don't want in this world will be absent from us. And the question that we need to all of us ask ourselves is a very simple question. Are we sure that we're going to be there? And what is our criteria? Well, what did Paul say? May I boast in nothing but the cross. If there was anybody in New Testament times had the right to boast, it, surely it was the Apostle Paul. He was used so dramatically uh, in respect of so many different things that yet, as far as he was concerned, he didn't want anybody to focus upon himself. He wanted to focus only on the cross. therefore our background our church involvement our charitable giving our good works all the things that we consider for ourselves maybe that enable us to receive a pat on the back from other people those are things that don't bring us to heaven yes they should be in our lives when we are God's children, and when we respond to the gospel, and they should be an outworking of God's grace that is in our hearts, day and day. There was the challenge of the persecution. These people had the anticipation of a of a better life of heaven, and then, as we looked at chapter 12 and the first verse, there is the contribution. Of the witnesses, we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, dozens of people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, it goes on to say, "Let us set aside every weight and sin, and run with endurance the race that is set before us." What is our responsibility within the church as a Christian? Surely the answer to that is that we are to be part of that great crowd of witnesses in our day and in our generation. I remember some time ago, I know this morning, it was a slightly different character. I remember uh, not long after I came at the beginning, I remember preaching on one occasion on Zacchaeus. And I simply said three things about Zacchaeus. I spoke about his encounter, his encounter with Jesus how that encounter led to his repentance and how that repentance led to a legacy. And how that even though we never hear, hear anything more about Zacchaeus other than that occasion when he met Jesus, he has left a legacy. He's left a legacy, as Matthew left a legacy, of inviting his friends and those who were his uh, contemporaries and even the sinners and all sorts of people they were at his house and that legacy was he he wanted them to hear the gospel he wanted them to respond to Jesus and let's ask ourselves the question yes they were a cloud a crowd of witnesses in their day and generation as in the Old Testament and in the New Testament And we surely should understand that we are the crowd of witnesses in our day and generation. Hebrews 11 speaks about what more shall I say? And then it gives us a whole catalogue of people who weren't mentioned in any detail. Abraham was mentioned, Noah was mentioned. Uh, Sarah was mentioned, other people were mentioned. And then it goes on to talk about a whole lot of other people. But if you were writing that same verse in respect of the New Testament people, you might say, What more shall I say about Zacchaeus and Peter and Paul, the woman at the well, and Thomas and Andrew, and Timothy and his granny, and Priscilla, and so on and so forth? They all left a legacy in their day and generation. And we are called to do the same today. To go back to Hebrews 11 and 31, we read, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because Rahab responded. And what was Rahab's concern once she responded? Well, in Joshua 2, we read that she made a bargain with the spies that when the, uh, when the the walls of Jericho were stormed, what would happen? That because she had sheltered the spies, because she believed in God, she wanted to make sure that there was security and help for her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to them. Rahab was concerned about those who were around her in her day and generation, and therefore we should be concerned about those in our day and generation. And that's why we should want to be part of the great crowd of witnesses. We're told in the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples, we read it in each of the four Gospels and also in the book of the uh, Acts of the Apostles, that you're to be my witnesses. You're to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and you're to percolate out to the uttermost parts of the earth, to Macrophelton and its surrounding areas. And why should we intentionally and deliberately want to share our faith? Let me close by making three suggestions. First of all, we should intentionally want to share our faith in order to elevate God's glory. That is the chief purpose of the Christian, that we are in this world in order to glorify God. And as the Catechism puts it, To enjoy him forever and in the Lord's Prayer what do we read we read hallowed be your name we want to glorify your name and your kingdom come what does it mean to pray that your kingdom will come it means that the kingdom of God should advance and the kingdom of God advances as more people become Christians and that should be our main motivation for evangelism we should be concerned for the honor of the Lord's name And God's glory is displayed in the world as his kingdom is advanced. And God's glory is displayed in the world through the moral character of those who are his people as we become obedient to his word. So why should we want to be part of the great cloud of witnesses in order to bring glory to God? Secondly, because of our guarantee of part of the new creation. My eternal future is guaranteed and sealed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. In the book of the Revelation, what do we read? It tells us that there'll be no more sea for the Jews. What was the sea? What did it represent? It represented separation and judgment, but there will be no more sea. There will be no more chaos or concern or crying or illness or goodbyes No more evil or conflict or war. God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And human language cannot, with its limitation, explain adequately the glories that there will be in heaven. Jerusalem in the Old Testament is where God met with his people. Uh, And therefore, uh, we ought to be thinking about the new Jerusalem that the Bible talks about, where God will meet with all his people, not just the select few of the people of Israel as was in the days of the Old Testament. And the new creation is a wonderful future for those who are believers. So why should we want to be part of God's great crowd of witnesses? Because we bring glory to God through it, and because of the guarantee of the new creation. And thirdly, we should because of the fact that life doesn't go on forever. Talking about death is not common or popular today. And we don't even like to speak about death. We, we like to talk about people who have passed on or who have left this scene of time. Or other people who wouldn't have a Christian uh, viewpoint in this might be more sentimental and say, you know, when we die, we go to join the stars in the sky. The Bible describes your life and mine like a mist or a vapor here today and away tomorrow like the flower in the field it blows away and it's little wonder that Psalm 90 says to us that we are to number our days and the Bible speaks about the destinies after death it speaks about heaven and it speaks about hell and at at times hell is treated Uh, certainly on secular TV, more often than not as a joke. But yet, when we think about it, Jesus never treated it as a joke, particularly when he told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And for him, hell was real. It was a place where God was absent, a place that is final and fixed for those who reject the gospel. someone once said so often christian people believe in hell in church on a sunday but they don't have any mind about it for the rest of the week recently i've been reading a book by a man called Rico tice Rico tice would have been the the founder and the author of the christianity explored course which has been so widely used over the past number of years in so many churches throughout the United Kingdom and further afield, And a friend of Rico Rico Tice's came to him one day and he asked for a copy of his sermon that he wanted to pass on to another friend. And uh, Rico Tice gave him the the, the sermon on on a a CD. And when the third party, as it were, uh, heard the sermon, he went back to the guy who gave it to him. And this is what he said. He said, if Rico is really a friend of mine, why has he not told me before what was said in that sermon? You know, I remember telling that story not so very long ago, because I only read the book about a couple of months ago. I remember been back in my own congregation over the summer in, in Trinity and in Balamone. I remember concluding uh, whatever I was speaking about that particular Sunday by telling that particular story. And a few days later I I met one of the members down uh, in Port Stewart. She was out for a walk. She came to me and she said, you know, after that Sunday morning I went home and I challenged my sister who I didn't say too much to ever before about the need to become a Christian. And basically that was what this friend who who heard what Rigo Tice believed and why haven't he told him about the great issues of life and of death of time and eternity and heaven and hell why should we be part of the great cloud of witnesses well surely to bring glory to God because it points for all of us to the guarantee of being part of the new heaven and the new earth and because it speaks Of the reality of death and the perils of hell Hebrews 11 speaks to us about the challenge of persecution throughout the different ages it speaks about the anticipation of heaven and speaks about the contribution of witnesses in the past in the present and even your contribution in the future let's pray Thank you.